Welcome to the Wing Life Podcast, where we talk about wing foiling and the lifestyles of those who enjoy this great sport. All right, fellas, Marty, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. With a pleasure. What an opportunity to talk about foiling. eh? Like uh, I'm in the basement. My wife doesn't want to talk about foiling. My kids roll their eyes. You guys are like, hey, you want to talk about foiling for two hours? Yes. <laughs> sure. Come come talk foiling, bro. <laughs> oh. Nice. So for for you guys that are tuning in at home and don't have a video feed right now or listening to the podcast, we have Marty, um, who's a board maker out in Western Canada. And he's sitting in his basement, which is a huge rack of boards. And he's got his toque on and he's... Uh, joining us for this episode here very good looking Thanks really canadian whatever it takes eh? oh yeah yeah that's it how long have you been doing this marty uh when you say this define this board making board repairing and we can go into how long you've been board and playing in the wind after yeah well i you know how about how about we'll just start with the, the water part of things and i can kind of go from there um, sure. I was 19, I guess I'm 47 now, 48 in a couple of weeks. And, um, I went to Mount Royal college for the outdoor education, outdoor pursuits program and started whitewater kayaking. And, uh, and that, this is, it leads into this. And, um, so for me, I was like, not going to get a regular job. There's no way I'm not going to give into the man and I'm going to live a life of freedom. And, uh, and I did for a long time. And part of that was moving to the Sea to Sky Corridor. And I lived in Pemberton, uh, predominantly in Whistler, sort of a bit back and forth. And um, ended up hooking up with a crew of guys there. And we started working on um, uh, like trucks, four by fours and stuff. eh? And because that was a big thing back there because there's no gates. All the communities, all the back roads are gated here on the island. Um, because it's like a grandfathered thing. The companies actually own the own the leases okay the land. and um and started doing a lot of body work and uh so body work is you know you're working with polyester um resin and fiber and uh it's you know it's uh filling materials and sanding and away you go and that was kind of the beginning of like working with composites for me um okay. so that goes a long ways back um as far as fixing boards like as soon as i moved out here which would have been I think maybe 15 years ago, when I say here south, that would be the South Island. Um, you know, I was bored. My neighbor's bored. He gave me an old wetsuit and a, like a couple smashed up old boards and said, how about her, man? And I was like, well, I can fix that. And so I started doing my own repairs and um, and they were terrible. Like it was just pouring resin on and, you know, just <laughs> sanding and you know, like wrong kinds of resin and, you know, the whole thing. Right. Um, but uh nice. But, you know, I started developing uh, some points of reference anyways, like uh, on what not to do, you know, and which is equally as important as knowing what to do. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe At least. Maybe maybe more so sometimes. Yeah. Um, And then it would have been about uh, maybe a decade ago uh, when we were kiteboarding and we were kiteboarding a lot and there's a bunch of spots on the island like know from the west coast all the way around the south tip and then up the east coast it's all it's all rocky it's all rocky and so uh you know you're leashless kiteboarding with surfboards 
and your boards are going to the beach all the time and our gear was just getting trashed and it was getting expensive to go to the shops. So started um, fixing my gear again. And then mm -hmm. I started fixing everybody else's gear. And then the guy that actually owned the shop that did all the repairs in town, they stopped doing repairs and I was the only, I was the only guy. Um, so kind of worked out with the, uh, the COVID thing. It sort of coincided with that. So I ran the pole, uh, the flag up the pole and it basically opened for business and, you know, started taking people in as actual customers. That would have been, you know, uh, maybe five years ago, um, okay. four years ago. Uh, but you know, previous to that, it was, um, like we were fabricating our own stuff already, like right off the bat. We're like, we're going <laughs> to, you're going to get, you guys a lot this, like this one, especially Tom, we're going to save some money and we're going to make our own stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll save some time as well while we're at it. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that part of things didn't work out how I anticipated. Yeah. That's okay that's though, but you a long answer to a short question. No, I appreciate no, it. No, but it does guess... bring us in well into how you started all of this and um, and how you got your business going. And I, and I believe you build boards now as well, right? You've gone a little bit beyond just uh, fixing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, like we were building, like we were cutting sups in half, and it, you know, at first. And then, uh, you know, there was uh, my good buddy, John Bridal out here, um, and Brad uh, McCallum later. They're kind of like where there's a crew of us down here that are um, – you know, we're, we're tight. We've been doing this for years. And uh, John and I were like, okay, man, we're going to save money. Right. And we're going to fix our own. We're going to make our own boards. And that would have been, yeah, like five years ago. Um, and it was just for us, really, you know, like it was just uh, like we can do this and there's really nothing to these things. It's a bar of soap, you know, like, you know, how difficult can it be? Um, and to a degree that that's still true, you know, um, it, it, it's not rocket science, uh, but like anything, um, there's some do's and don'ts for sure that, uh, you know, a person learns along the way. Um, making something uh, light is pretty easy and making something heavy is pretty easy. Making something light and strong, that's difficult, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, played with, a bunch of, played with a bunch of different shapes. I probably made 30 boards. Now, Noah has a couple. Um, uh, Tom's got some white foils, I think. Uh, maybe. Um, yeah, because yeah, I started making the foils too. And I, I worked with actually the engineering program here. This was just after the Takuma and Gold Foils first came out. And then again, I was going to save money and uh, make my own stuff. Like, I wish I had that, that um, the original, like, Send a picture back to you guys. It'll be funny. You'll you right. can use it for something, I'm sure. Um, and worked with the Camosun engineering program and did like a what's called a capstone project, where I uh, project managed and mentored this uh, group of really smart engineering students. And we like they helped me develop my own modular foil setup <clears throat> system, which uh, oh, cool again was like like incredibly educational not just through them but through me through the project manage part of things i had a chance to actually like really um 
review all of the mistakes and all the things that I had done until that point in time to be able to present it and hear like the options. Like it's like coming up with good questions. And we were able to answer a lot of those um, then. So um, that kind of led in was really the big, that really kicked things in because if I could make a hydrofoil by hand, you know, through composite using, utilizing different things and fixing a surfboard is pretty darn easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think the, the building foils and fixing foils is a whole different level, a whole different dimension. And, and when you start talking about making things light and strong, that's really where, you know, you can really differentiate between different build uh, techniques. And, and I think realistically speaking, um, if you really want to build something light and strong, that's a foil, you need just tooling. That's not realistic for most people to have uh, in their houses uh, and they can't, and they can't really do that. However, I do think boards is very doable. Um, so do you, do you want to tell us kind of a little bit, how would, how do you build your boards? Like what is your process when you build a board? Well, it depends on what I'm making, you know, and like I'm a kind of an experimenter too. So, you know, I've tried a lot of different techniques. There's different sandwich techniques. Uh, for somebody who doesn't know what a sandwich is, I know you guys do. I happen to have this cross section of a board that I don't know if we can actually see. Can you guys, is that focused well? Yeah, yep. yeah, we can see. So you've yeah. got carbon on the outer layer. You've got divinacell. Then you've got a layer of glass between that and the foam. And then you've got EPS. And, uh, and so that's the foam that's used nowadays, this specific construction. This is an old Mike's lab board. Uh, I converted um, from one of those old kite race boards to a wing board, which worked okay. Um, but then in other ways, it was not so okay. Um, we could talk about that later. And one of the, the things about learning about um, the importance of rocker um when you're building these boards but you know we tried at first kind of using what we had and because there was you know anybody who was worth their salt had uh, like a polyester surfboard blank kicking around and mm -hmm. you know early in there wasn't really an understanding to what we were doing and so a lot of what was happening was um guys were were um making the boards based upon a surfboard profile yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to take a little parentheses on this just because I know people are going to be listening in and didn't really see what you just showed us. And basically what mm -hmm. Marty was just showing is a pretty modern uh, kind of like up to date, what, how you'd build a wing board today. Uh, and basically what you're seeing in a sandwich construction is that you have an outer layer that's either carbon or fiberglass or Kevlar sometimes then you have a very thin layer of very high density foam, which is what the divinacell that Marty was talking about. And the idea of that foam is to be able to make a really impact resistant skin without having to have a really thick fiberglass layer or a really thick carbon layer and kind of help dent prevention and stiffness without having to add a bunch of fiberglass or carbon. Yeah. After that, you have another layer of fiberglass, and then you go down to a really kind of lightweight, uh, low-density foam, which is your EPS, and that'll give you volume, basically. That'll give you the thickness of the board that you want and how much foam you need. And because the boards end up being so thick, especially wing boards, if you look at a cross-section like Marty is showing us now, 
there's almost no fiberglass. There's almost no carbon in the thickness. You know, you have these super thin layers on the outside and it still ends up being something that's super stiff and super strong uh, because of this really smart use of materials. And as Marty is saying, in the beginning, the early wing boards uh, were not built like that. They were just built like surfboards with reinforced tracks. And it was basically just EPS, you know, low density foam with a fairly thick fiberglass uh, layer to make it dent resistant. So they were quite heavy and they weren't very stiff. And that ended up being, you know, kind of first gen sub foil boards and wing foil boards and surf foil boards. Um, and after that, all of this sandwich technology, which I believe comes from windsurfing mostly, um, kind of showed up picture and that's made huge differences in weights and boards and stiffness and durability and so one of the things that um might be important to, uh, to understand for people is the reason why also that sandwich technology works it's one of those things where you have three materials and they add to three but when you put those three materials together it adds to five that by adding those materials it creates a strength that is greater than the sum of the parts um, mm -hmm. which is kind of where the miracle of this, this stuff comes in. Um, yeah. But it is so, not the only way to, um, to accomplish a lot of the objectives, you know, that, that uh, and, and it is difficult. Like uh, um, we used to, I used to, uh, you know, kind of make fun of things coming out of the Cobra factory in, in um, overseas. And, uh, you know, it was like a knockout board and, you know, they don't really, you know, it's just garbage. And like those crafts people like really are really good at what they do. Over yeah, there. they are. And, and Cobra, and for those that don't know, is a factory that produces basically every production windsurfing board on the market. And a lot of the wing boards, a lot of the kite boards, it's a high end um, composites factory in uh, Thailand, I believe. Yeah, it's in Thailand. Uh, that uh, has been at it for a very long time and they're actually very very good at what they do mm -hmm. um and you you kind of get what you paid for just like anything you know made in asia or anywhere for that matter yeah. um, you can get shitty constructions and you can get super high-end constructions it just depends what you pay for well that's it and and so that you know there are things there a lot are, are made to spec um and uh, you know as i know a number of people that are in the board business and whatever else and you know one of the most important things when you, when they're doing overseas stuff there is is having somebody that's doing qa uh, quality assurance on the product uh mm -hmm. to make sure that it's being done according to how that they want it to be done um, absolutely which is one of the things there was the first generation kt boards or quattro boards that came out which were Great boards all the way around. I, you know, I think almost everybody I know is either has one or had had one of those. Um, yeah. They ran into, uh, it was over COVID there, and they ran into some QA things where the factory used um, thinner carbon than, than they were potentially supposed to. And so it was a limited production run, and it was, they were just a bit more fragile than they were supposed to be. All of those have long, been, long since been gone on the market, can happen to any of the companies. Um, yeah. But the next They're run of super board, light they, though, which is cool. Yeah, that's like, like, <laughs> like it's like it's it's like what is this like? And yeah. um, and you know, still really good boards. There's absolutely nothing wrong with them, so I don't want to sound like I'm making any sort of a diss, um, because I'm not. And then the next run of boards, they went with like thicker carbon, you know, and it's a little bit um, it's a little the boards are a little bit heavier, but they're way stronger, and. Yeah. 
And I think that that's where a lot of like that, that search for the lightness only goes so far until it rebounds back and people start getting, you know, uh, that proper sort of like value and durability intersect, you know? Totally. And it's a super, super fine line. Like I've, sure you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a huge composites project myself right now. And through it, I've kind of learned how to do the calculations on all this kind of stuff, like actually yeah. how much fiberglass or carbon or whatever you need and how much thickness, blah, blah. And it's really, you know, the skin plays such a minimal role in strength in reality in all of this. Like it's really the geometry that does it. So you can have a board like those first generation quattros, which is structurally way strong enough. Um, but the skin is so thin that you just puncture it uh, because there's almost nothing there. And if you add just one more little layer, which doesn't add that much weight, you have uh, something that's not bomb proof, but really a lot more solid. Yeah. So dialing in construction is a huge thing for, for board making for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, back to the question about how do I start making boards? Well, the first thing is, is finding out what the objective is, you know, like okay. what, what do I want to do? What am I, am I making this for, um, um, like a, a prone surfing board? Am I making this as a sup surfing board? Am I making this as a light wind winging board? Am I making this as an all around winging board? Am I making this as a sinker winging board, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that's going to give me a lot of, you know, that's going to give me a lot of the direction of where I'm going to go to, um, you know, uh, and there is there, you know, like you've got these boards where <clears throat> it kind of really, it's a generalization, but it only really matters um, in the light winds. Like, if you have enough wind, you can fly most anything to a degree of proficiency. Like, and of course, if you're in really, you know, really high winds and you have a big sup, well, then you've got problems because it's going to get blown around all over the place. And, um, you know, and likewise going the other way there. And, and, but really that's where, you know, you run into the lower ranges where um, it becomes challenging to, uh, well, I don't know challenging. It becomes one of the things that, um, design features really come into play like you know sharp edges and um all sorts of things like that and and also you know depending upon where where you uh for me where i plan on using the board you know so mm -hmm. if i'm if i'm going to be up the coast where there's you know blast rock and all sorts of you know like really really challenging launch spots or places i'm going to come in and i'm probably going to trip over myself and land on my rails like i'm going to want to use uh like a spectra carbon blend on the rails or uh, you know or an, an agar carbon blend on the rails um or something like that because um you know as far as the materials goes like if i were to put carbon on there it would be lighter and cheaper for sure um but you know the second that i ding the rail all of a sudden that eps foam is taken in water and now i've lost all the weight savings that there was anyways so um yeah that's, that's a good way to look at it you know, so it's like, uh, you can only like, I'm, I, I'm really hard on my gear. Like, there's no question about it. Like, you know, I make boards that I can just chuck around. And I think you've probably seen me at the beach loop you know, a couple of times and maybe like, oh my <laughs> yeah. God, what's he doing? You know, but I, like, I make my boards like that so that I don't have to worry about it, you know? Um, and because I, I'm making them based upon my needs, you know, uh, okay. on that there, but yeah, that would be sort of, how I start the process. Does that answer that question? 
Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. I think it's through. a really good way to do it. We should, uh, before moving on too far, does anybody have any questions at this phase of the game? We got some people here with us that are that are riding your gear, which is actually pretty cool. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> any quick questions halfway? Hey, Noah, go on in. Hey, Marty, I'm having a great time riding. I got two yeah, of your fun. boards. I, I got two of your boards now. Looking forward to hopefully plugging the gap like we were talking about. And I can have a, a full-on Chomic quiver. Um, so yeah, my question is, Marty, are you taking commissions at the moment? Are you making custom boards for people? I mean, I can, um, you know, if somebody were to approach me and say, I, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm looking at this, um, you know, it's something I can do seasonally. It's difficult for me. Um, and the reason for that is I don't have a lot of shop space and, uh, you know, while I can move things around in and out there, uh, I found that that affects quality. Like if I, if I, you know, want to make something that's really good, I want to be able to put it, you know, into a proper space where I don't have to move the blank around a lot. I'm not going to have to repair any holes in the blanks. I'm not going to make all these small little mistakes, um, you know, that accumulate over time. Um, there's not a lot of light in the day right now. You know, it's a, it's a challenging time of year for me to do things like that. Um, so I would have to say at the moment, not really, but you know, I'm like, I listen to anything, right. If somebody has a, any kind of a reasonable idea in any way, and even unreasonable ideas, I'll like, let's hear it, you know? So, um, yeah. All right, what do you got? What are we doing? Oh, Noah's thinking. Noah's thinking. I saw that. <laughs> He's thinking about a new board, I think. Um, <laughs> That, that's an interesting point you're making about kind of manipulating stuff and having the right space to do it. And I think for people that are going into thinking about a home build, that's something that's really worthwhile considering because if you're, you know, thinking of building this in your kitchen, um, you're, apart from your, you know, significant other might be getting a little frustrated with you about that or your roommate or whatnot. But beyond that, you're probably going to need to move it around a lot and you're going to need to get it out of your way every time you want to eat and you're going to be living in fiberglass dust. So it's having a space dedicated to making the board and not moving it off the bench so that you don't ding it as you move it around and stuff like that is really a huge plus. And it's not always easy to do because that space needs to be kind of hundred percent dedicated to that for you to get good results. Mm -hmm. I know taking it to the next level when I'm doing vacuum bagging, um, which when I'm using the high-end materials like the carbons and um, the Anegra and the Spectra and, and that kind of stuff, especially Kevlar, uh, going to want to use uh, the vacuum bagging as that needs its own dedicated space. Because at the point in time where you laminate things like you drape the cloth, you wet the cloth out, you know, there's steps in between all these things, but it's the basic way of it for somebody who doesn't know. Then you put like a breather layer that can squeeze out material. Then you put like a layer that will actually allow air to move through. So you create suction bag. You have to have enough space to be able to lay that bag out properly. So when you put it in, it's a nice and tidy process because you okay. can take a thousand dollars in material and however many hours and time and ruin it. Like if you're tripping. Totally. Totally. 
So just uh, that was a really good point about kind of breaking down uh, composites just so people understand what it is. Cause I think it's kind of, there's a lot of mystique about it and people don't really know what composites are. So basically when you hear carbon or fiberglass or Kevlar or Aramid or, you know, all of these different fibers, it's basically the cloth that's impregnated or, or filled with some sort of a resin. So a resin comes out as a liquid and it then catalyzes or, and turns into a hard plastic. And you usually have to mix it. You either mix in a catalyzer or um, curing agent uh, to a specific ratio based on the resin, blah, blah, blah. That's kind of details that aren't that important. But the idea is that you have this liquid that you pour onto a cloth and then with time and some heat, it turns into a hard plastic. And now you have this really rigid uh, material that your strength is coming from the fibers and your adhesion between layers and then onto the foam is coming from the epoxy or polyester resin that you're using for it. Uh, and what Marty is talking about here is actually the next level of that where you're trying to use a vacuum bag to remove as much resin as possible and keep the minimum amount of resin possible. And so you have as much fibers as possible. Yeah, that's right. And, and air as well. So that you have this like perfect straight fibers that are stuck super well everywhere. Uh, and all you have in your lamination is just fiber and it's a little resin as possible. And that's what makes it, you know, as strong and as light as possible. And are you, are you infusing as well, Marty? Or are you doing a wet layup and putting it in a bag? No, I don't infuse. I don't have the shop space for it, period. Um, yeah. And uh, you want to really know what you're doing with that there. I'm not prepared to learn. Um, uh, to spend what it would take to learn and make that mistake in the, in my backyard. You know, uh, okay. I know a couple yeah, guys that, that have done it here. I'll do different kinds of layups. Like I'll do, um, what I found lately. Do we want to get into this right now? Like the sort of technical component. I, I'll answer quickly How about that. Sure. sure. Why not? Um, let's do it. I'll do my favorite way to do things right now is to do, a uh, like a, like wet out on a table. Then get a roll, like a cardboard roll that the cloth, fiberglass cloth would be on, roll it up, and then roll it onto the board. Yeah. Yeah, that's already been sealed. And I, I've, I, and then vacuum bagging from there, and I've had really good success with that. Um, every step of the way that I'm minimizing the amount of resin that I use saves weight. And, you know. And cost take, as well, right? Which this? And cost as well, because the resin's expensive. Yeah. Yep. Yep, for sure. Mm -hmm. And then uh, next thing you know, you're sanding off $100 in resin and you burn through $100 in sandpaper and you burn through a sander. And, you know, there's like a, two weeks doing this. Yeah. And you start doing it over a period of time, man. It, it's uh, it's costly, right? It's costly. So, yeah. Yep. Um, we did kind of want to go into a little bit of basic DIY repairs. I guess this could be a good bridge into that. Um mm kind of session savers you're at the beach when do, would somebody take a board to you what, what what would that kind of that step be like well first of all don't ever try and repair your own board <clears throat> send it to me D done selfish plug selfish plug no i mean yeah. um uh, Wrong. nobody you know like don't air like you know, unless unless uh, unless somebody's like at risk of losing their foil, which has happened, 
I know somebody mm. in this room who's lost foils. <laughs> uh, uh, where is I? Uh, sorry, I was about to start crying. Um, you know, there's some basic that you, can, uh, that you can keep in the bag for sure. Um, okay. Probably the, the most effective um, way to stop a crack or a leak in your board is tucked tape, the red stuff. Yep. Um, the nightmare to get off. Uh, it's like if you take it to, it's the same thing with kites. You can fix kites or wings with that. But when you're going to take it to the repair guy, a lot of the repair people won't, they won't take it. <laughs> that adhesive mm -hmm. is so hard to get off. Eh? Um, yep. So uh, that said, there's better options than that. Uh, there is, uh, is it ACS helicopter tape? You can buy a roll of it. It's fairly expensive, but it's uh, the tape that they use on helicopter blades when they're moving helicopters. It was uh, like originally a military application. Um, and mm -hmm. You can buy them in like rolls now, and like I said, it's a it's you know costs a bit more for a roll. It's like thirty five bucks or something by the time it's delivered, but it's um, like it removes easily. You can remove it afterwards. It's got high bondability. It's got high flexibility, and it's clear, so you don't look like um, like a bozo at the beach with uh, tuck tape all over. Like for me, I don't really care. Like I've got two kids. I'm all spawned out. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried, you know, I'm not worried about it, right? It's like, what do you, hey, well, you look terrible. Like, so? You know? Scared. Exactly. And uh, so you, those of us who, who are there where I'm at understand <laughs> what that's about. But those are a couple good things for sure to have in your kit. <clears throat> you know, um, extra bolts. That's a good one to have, you know, like have some backup bolts. Uh, and try and stay away from the reg you know, just the regular hexagonal bolts there. They're garbage um, for what we do there. They strip out entirely too easy. And um, and then uh, when you get any sort of seizing to do with the salt water there, they can be really difficult to take out. You have to drill them, and that's a whole other exercise and things. So, you know, having some extra bolts is a good idea. Um, you know, I would say those are kind of the three three things that, you know, for the beach there are good um there's the class have you tried have you tried ding stick yeah i was going to go into ding stick and different epoxies and stuff next yeah so um if you're using ding stick as a filler and then putting tape over top of that that's okay if you're using ding stick to push into a hole letting it cure and thinking that everything is all right you're sadly mistaken because the uh um rigidity of that is uh, of a different rigidity than than the board guaranteed and so every okay. time there's some movement there's flex that's happening and because you have this eps board um that has all of this air in it when it hits the cold water out here is that you know the air gets denser and it pulls the water in literally like a vacuum so yeah i'm not really like you know, you do what you have to do. Um, it's like game sticks without having a cloth over top of them or, you know, you're going to get water intrusion, period. Yeah, I think if you're, um, if you have a sandwich construction on your board yep. and it hasn't gone through the whole sandwich, then ding stick is, is a totally fine, uh, you know, just for a session saver, not as a real repair, but really just as a session saver. Sure. I'm totally, in my opinion, I'm totally okay with it. Uh, yeah. I'd much prefer to see Solares being used, though, personally, which is a UV cure epoxy. Yeah. And at that point, 
again, you still have the issue that Marty is talking about, about having this big glob of hard stuff in a structure that's meant to flex and move in a cohesive way. But at least you're getting a real seal all around the edges as opposed to ding stick, which will fill the hole and it probably won't fall out, but it doesn't really seal around the edges. Yeah, so I'm a really big fan of, of uh, Solares. They have an epoxy version, they have a polyester version, um, and it's all you need is a little bit of sunlight. You apply the material on, ideally you sand a little bit beforehand, and then you let it cure. Uh, and it can go quite quickly. If you have a lot of sun, you're within like 20 minutes, you're good to go on the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's an important point there to be made that there's there's two different kinds of it. There's the polyester stuff, um, and then there's the epoxy stuff that, for all intents and purposes, just get the epoxy solar res. Uh, because the polyester is, um, like, it will dissolve the EPS foam. So if you have EPS foam involved, as soon as that touches it, it will create a big hole in your board. And that's a, that's a bad thing. Yeah, it would be an absolute disaster. I think I normally use, um, I think it was the 105, um, the epoxy I normally get just from a, from a boating store or something. Very yeah. similar to yeah, solar res in that good. sense, but yeah. that stuff was pretty good for that. Um, and it cures when it's wet too, that 105 does. Yeah, so that's always been kind of nice. Um, what about for those at home that are looking to buy a used board? Is there anything that you would recommend um, looking out for if there have been repairs done? I think that uh, there's a number of people I know who've been um, kind of led down the garden path by reading how easy it is to take up wing foiling and, you know, what size boards they need for the <laughs> size and this and that. And yep. I'm a big fan of having fun. Like, I believe you can have fun all the way through the process if you get the, if you get the right stuff, you know. And that totally is- agree. You know, getting a, a board that is maybe a little bit, um, a little bit less an ego stroke and a little bit more functional. You know, um, mm-hmm. so getting something that has the higher leaders, like um, you know, like a really short sub style. You know, I think there's probably a business model. I'm probably going to talk to Sam at Gyro Beach and, and suggest that she actually mm-hmm. have some boards to um, rent out around Victoria for the summer or whatever, so that you know people could rent out a large sub you know, for 10 sessions, you know, mm-hmm. so that they can actually like isolate the variables when they're learning a little bit and not have to worry about the stability of the board before they go like, into buying something, you know, before they even, before they even think about buying anything that's like, you know, going to be their wing board for the next year, you know. Um, I've, I found that a lot this summer teaching at Nitnat. I was working with Marie there at Elevation for a little bit. Yeah. The 145, 150, uh, one of our clients had, a, a, I think, a Nash was a bit shorter, a bit wider. And um, and then I was able to borrow that board and put some other people on it. And it was significant difference. This episode is brought to you by Saladita Kite School in La Ventana, Mexico. If you caught some of our uh, stories yesterday on Instagram, you'll have seen that. I just got in a couple epic days of downwinding. We got a 10 kilometer downwinder done with my buddy mickey from salt spring island today i got in an epic one with my friend Britt. um we went from latuna all the way to the beach and back um 
heck of a fun time. If you're looking to learn, there's nothing better than getting a lesson from the pros at Saladita Kite School. They are positioned at Latuna, and now that I've been here a little while, I've gotten the opportunity to visit to a couple different spots. It is one of the more beginner-friendly beaches with some nice sand so you're not walking on any rocks. Um, They do offer professional jet ski-assisted kite and wing foil lessons. Um, So once again, they're at Latuna. So if you want to grab a beer after, grab some ice cream, grab anything, it is a nice little hub there. So you're not just stuck kind of in the middle of nowhere. So they have you covered if you want to learn how to kite, foil, or looking into downwinding. They got top quality gear as well. Uh, So don't hesitate. Book your lessons today by visiting saladitalaventana.com or send them a message on Instagram at saladitakiteschool, at saladitakiteschool. For them and and just how easier it was to get up, how they could take the instruction and then not spend half the time or three quarters of the time in the water. So I do like where you're coming at this before even knowing what to do, then you got to start to look at the sea. Yeah. What is that best board for me, even for that first couple of seasons? There's a, there's a one guy in particular, um, pretty good surfer, uh, out here. And he ended up buying, he's, he's a really light guy. He's like 150 pounds, but he ended up buying like a, like a 45 liter board. And yeah. And he was like, he'd never done any, like, but he was like, yeah, man, like I'm a good surfer. And you know, like I've been in double overhead surf and like, he's a pretty good surfer. And I've, I've surfed with him and, and, um, and, you know, he was just really like this, he's getting this board and I, I know I'm going to grow out of that something so big. And he spent at the first, at least 20 sessions walking in, you know, up the beach, uh, whether he made it in like sensibly or, you know, like some sort of, you know, some terrible rescue scenario. Um, you know, it was a, a real nightmare for the guy. And that's like the, just the classic thing where it was, you know, I just, it kind of felt bad for the guy, you know, like, you don't want to be like, Hey man, I told you, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah, like, totally. How can, I, and I, how can I help you? Hey, I got a bigger board. In fact, I got three, come get it. Like, like I have, yeah. and I have boards around that. I just lend people just, just come get the big board. Like it's totally. here. I, I think that's a pretty extreme example, but like the really classic example that, that you see a lot is people not taking lessons, not really having done much wind sports or even worse, people that are coming at it from a wind sport background. Yeah. So they're already a proficient, you know, kite surfer or wind surfer. And they're like, oh, I got this. No problem. I'm just going to start with a board that's, you know, my weight plus 10 liters or 15 liters because I'm not going to grow out of that. Yeah. Well, that's a great idea if you already know how to foil and you already know how to kite foil and you already know how to wind foil and you already have a super good base surfing and you have really consistent wind direction really consistent conditions that you can go out every day. Yeah. yeah that's a, that's a great plan. But the reality mm-hmm. is that for 99% of people, they don't have most, if not all of those variables when they get into it. And yeah. so getting a big board, like Marty's talking about is a huge, huge help. And I mm-hmm. personally, even though I had basically all of those variables um, starting, I started on a seven foot long, 150 or 160 liters sub foil board. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, 70 kilos. Are you being truthful about that 70 kilos, Tom? What was that, sir? I didn't hear, Marty. Are, are you being truthful about that 70 kilos? Or I was at the time. I'm closer to 75 now, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, 
but yeah, Josh but you know, e- even even in my at, at you know even at seventy five kilos or even at eighty whatever, that's still a huge board. Yeah. Uh, and I yes. and I was stoked on having that because it just made it a joke. You know, you just stand up on the board and everything's good, and yep. you figure out okay, what is this wing thing like? How do I make it go forward? How do I, you know, how do I do this? And even with quite a few years of windsurf foiling and kite foiling and all that kind of stuff, it's still not that easy <laughs> at first. And the, I think the people that get in the most trouble are the kite foilers that come into it, um, having used really tiny foils, really tiny boards, and they're looking for that, you know, light swing weight and high performance and stuff like that. And they just don't have the efficiency to pump up onto foil. So they really need a big wing and a big board. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, or you're going to suffer a lot. What have you seen, Marty? Is that kind of the same thing you've seen with people coming to you? Do you have people coming with with little experience kind of looking to get something? Or what well, have you found people, so far? Like, a lot of people just don't, you know, they think that their research on the internet has told them what they need to do, um, okay. that they know what to do. And, and that's fine. Like, I, I don't have any business. I'm, I'm not too concerned about being right. Like, you know, for me, and I'm not right a lot of the times, you know, uh, I just like to be helpful to people and see them having a, you know, a better time of, of you know, of learning something like this because it's just, it's such a positive culture. You know, it's a lot different mm-hmm. than the surf culture, which is a bit more like a limited resource. And, you know, more for you is less for me. And yep. in, the, in the wind community, it's, it isn't that, period. Right. It's, you know, more for me is more for you. Like it's totally. all good. So, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. I want to see people in that sense. I want to see people do well. And uh, I don't buy into the thing that you can't rip with large boards. Like, you know, I know uh, a couple of the guys out here, like Chris Curran was on a large board. You know, he was ripping like, I don't know, within five, six sessions, but he was glad that he did on that. My buddy Brad, who was like a McCallum, he was like an Olympic level skier. So he's like one of these bizarro athletes. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, he was one of the first adopters of winging coming from kiting because it got too mainstream for him and he hated it. (laughs) It's kind of funny, but, um, you know, up until last year and even this year, he still uses his, uh, his stand up paddleboard for a wing board and he rips like he rips. Hmm. So, you know, as far as that, you're not, you know, not being able to like, you know, perform on a high level on using, you know, bigger gear is a bit of a misnomer too, but, um, yeah, there's people that come and, and, and ask me, you know, uh, uh, what what kind of boards I think that they should get. I'm going to kind of segue back to, you know, what, what the question is, is one of the things to look at there. And like there's been some pretty radical changes in design over the last like the last year of seeing things kind of settle down. It's all about 90 other than the the one KT board, uh, which is a mm-hmm. bit of a misnomer. The Jinsu? Yeah, it's kind of an outlier. So we'll just leave that there but sure. most of the other boards are 95 percent sort of the same um coming into the years before that there was a lot of changes that were happening um with some kind of radical designs and then some other designs that sort of ended up being a bit more like the classic design of what we go with now and 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 that's fine because when you're learning it's you know you can m- make a lot of things work really um but the mm-hmm. you know one of the big things is is understanding um, or, or not rather understanding, making sure that you have a solid track in place. Because uh, when they first started doing a lot of these things, they were like, 
companies and there was some big name companies that that were like you know they would have like a like an inch thick of divinity of really high density foam that was like a square that they dropped you know routed it in and dropped it into the foam and put some glass over top of that and off to the races you go and you know that's fine and dandy until you hit anything and next thing you know now you've cracked that and you may not actually even see the crack that happens right there but now you've delaminated something inside of the board right there and and you know, I, I saw the first year that we were out there, maybe the second year, you know, there was, a, you know, there was foils that were getting ripped out of boards, kind of like, like mm -hmm. it was happening, you know, and um, nowadays they, you know, they pretty much understand what works and what doesn't. Um, so, you know, uh, one of the things to look at is to hook a foil onto the board itself. So as, as you would be, uh, flipping it upside down so that of course the, the deck of the board is on the ground and the foil is up in the air and believe it or not, um, reinforcing that board with your feet and rocking it back and forth to see if there's any movement in the tracks. Um, and that hmm. right there can save you up. Like depending on what kind of foil you have, some foils will sink, you know, some foils will, will go to the bottom. So, you know, never mind the repair cost of getting that repaired. Uh, losing, mm -hmm. you know, two thousand dollars, and we actually we shouldn't. We're not supposed to talk about numbers, are we here? <laughs> losing expensive cost. Yeah, yeah, expensive foiling gear is not a. It's not a not a good time. Man. Not a good time. So, no. Nope. I think that that's probably the most important thing to look at. You know, okay. um, you know, we're lucky in a saltwater environment here in the sense that uh, when water gets wicked in and breathes out and dries it will leave salt crystals so you'll get little wheat marks and you'll see where there's salt that's left on a board and that will tell okay. you where a board's leaking because it can just sometimes be just little pimples um mm -hmm. which are easy to fix but that will still bring water into your board um mm -hmm. you know so um making sure that you actually get a board that's like you know when you buy it it's it's been taken indoors and warmed up at least like not heated. So it's going to create a problem like of delamination, but like warmed up to see if you have any weeping that's happening out, you know, uh, paying special attention to like sharp edges. So like, You can see my board there as the, okay. the sharp edges at the back right there, mm -hmm. classic leak spots. Those are okay. spots that are, you know, should be kept, uh, you know, keep an eye out for those spots. Um, they often get uh, over sanded. Yeah, they get over sanded. Um, they're challenging to lay up, you know, if they're in our factory sense there, uh, especially if you get on the corners where there's the complex curves. Um, I find I fix a lot of those kind of leaks uh, right out okay. of the factories. They're also, you know, um, focal points for impacts. So instead of having okay. something that's, you know, spread out over a larger area, it hits that part right there. And there's a lot of force that will hit right there. And, you know, you can get little leaks from there. Um, paying, uh, you know, attention to that. Um, and then I think the next one that, that I kind of comes out to mind is to make sure that you're going through the board to make sure there isn't any delamination. Um, because that like the delamination is, is for those that don't know is um, 
when the glass gets separated from the foam. Yeah. So that can happen from a few things that can happen um, over time uh, and weight, you know, pushing on something eventually. And, you know, eventually it gets pushed in far enough that it just wants to rebound back when you're dealing with like a, like a carbon, you know, or okay. something like that, that doesn't particularly like to bend um, more often than not. Um, you're going to get delamination because there's water in the board. Yeah. And, uh, okay. and, and those things can be, uh, they can be fixed, um, but it can be costly. And usually it's, it's a, it's a bit incomplete uh, because once you get water in these EPS boards there on any, on any level there, it's a, it's very difficult to get it out. If, if at all impossible, um, like taken on the whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then uh, they breathe. So what happens is the water gets spread throughout the board and turns into vapor. And then you get expansion, okay. diurnal contraction and expansion that happens in the board. And it's just like a, like it's breathing and that will, that will cause delamination. So okay. you know, one of them is kind of an indicator of a larger problem. Usually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and one, so the, and the other, the other place to really look out for, um, apart from the hard edges, like Marty's describing, is often the the nose, the tail, and the rails of the board, because those are kind mm -hmm. of focal points for impacts. Um, and then compounded, you know, if you have these like really thin noise noses or really thin tails with really hard edges, uh, you those are just magnets for dings. Kind of like what Marty's yeah. pointing out on his board, like really thin uh, in, through the noise. You're right. Um, and these areas up all and around and in through here, uh, I've got a foam pad. So when I like up here, that helps me uh, to kind of push it. What up in, like a ninja, eh? You're quick. Yeah, that that was Marty's board water. slipping there, but he caught it. <laughs> yeah, that gives me uh, a chance to uh, push against something, but it also allows me to put the board upside down and not worry about it. Um, and okay. Another one here too. Um, I've got Spectra, like, which is uh, like Amsteel or Dyneema. It's stronger than steel. That's like a Spectra of carbon weave. So it's really impact resistant. And probably of all the places that there is dings, that's where they're going to happen in and around there. So I'm not sure who's, who mentioned that, but that's for sure the obvious. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And what about foil placement? Like, I know that's changed as well. Like the V1s and stuff, they started and, and you could move the track was further back and they moved it further forward. I know yeah. I learned on a buddy's board, it was a 145 liter, but the track was so far forward, I couldn't bring the foil back enough and it would just spin like a top. So oh, where, yeah. did you guys, you guys play with that as well as you were starting out and then to now? Uh, like where no, you put yeah, your that's track? That, absolutely. That's changed a lot. You know, they're to the point where there's Boards that are like first generation are, are uh, oftentimes incompatible uh, with okay. what we do because, you know, you have the different kinds of foils and without getting into too much of it, higher aspect foils lift like this with speed, whereas the lower aspect foils, which were the first generation, had heavy lift that you could kind of jump and they would like lift vertically. And you actually needed nose on the board to to control that lift you had to keep the nose down whereas you know the the current generation of of um foils generally is is like you're getting speed like this and it's lifting up like this you have less lift um and so you need to have the tracks further forward yeah okay. um, 
So, so just just uh, so people that can't see what Marty's doing with his hands, uh, basically the high aspect foils is a more progressive lift. So as you pick up speed, the the lift kind of progressively gets higher. And the earlier generation lower aspect foils that are really thick, the second that you start moving um, at a high enough speed, all of a sudden it's like, boop, this foil wants to just jump up and fly straight up. And it's kind of a all or nothing situation. So with the higher aspect foils like today, that's why we're seeing a lot of the newer boards have foils further forward. Um, and there's also a lot of standardization and kind of lift points for foils. In the beginning, we had some companies that had super, super front foot heavy foils and others with super back foot heavy foils and everybody's kind of moving towards a relatively balanced front and back foot uh now so some tracks are moving backwards some are moving forwards but everybody's kind of moving in a similar direction which is great because it means that you can use more foils on more different boards hey nice takuma yeah takuma yeah um what about board shapes and and uh lengths and stuff that's another kind of Cool question i was curious about uh well i know when we first started out there hull speed was a pretty big thing and i think that um it, it still is a big factor um balanced you know carefully with size on the board now you know like um i like about a 411 long board personally with more volume um okay and and you know, I used to go with something that was a bit wider and now I'm going to things that are a little bit narrower for, for speed. And it really does make a difference. Um, I'm hmm. finding that I don't need the length on that as much as I, as I do the volume, you know, up this way to a point, um, okay. the volume as far as like the thickness, um, like that's what I'm going for these days. You know, like part of it depends on where you, like where, where you, where you're going to be doing uh, your things. Like if you're in cold water um, and you're in like open ocean, cold water, lots of currents, you know, AKA South Island or something like that, um, mm -hmm. you know, and you, you can get some significant winds and big swells and like, you don't want to be floating around on a sinker. Like it's, yeah. it's not, it's not a good option, but if you're in the Bahamas, it's probably Tommy? a good option, you know? Um, not bad. <laughs> Nope. I actually rode my sinker a lot more back in Montreal than I do uh, oh, here now. Well, there you uh, go. In warmer water. Yeah, because oh, we had more wind. Mm. But so in uh, Montreal, was it still fairly warm water? Oh no, definitely not. And I mean, oh. I think it's um, it's, it, I think I it's like a rider point, level thing more than uh, a a volume thing, to be honest. And for most people kind of what I suggest to people usually when they're looking at board sizing is don't think about a sinker board until you're making a solid 90% of your transitions yeah. until that point. It's just not worth your time. Uh, like the gains in performance that you're going to get and the sure it's more fun to ride. Sure. It's going to maybe, you know, have lower swing weight and be a little bit more reactive and whatnot but it's just not worth the energy that it's going to take to restart that thing every time. And if you're riding in kind of marginal conditions or if you're riding in gusty conditions, cool. especially you really need to be quick to kind of pump really dynamically and pop up on the foil. Otherwise you're just sitting in the water the whole time or you're mm -hmm. exhausted uh, or both. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that it's definitely doable on a sinker board, but you do need to have a pretty good level uh, and ideally, you know, in a decent amount of wind as well. That definitely doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, I think, um, well, Marty from Strong there was playing around at Knitnat this summer and he was on something super tiny and very light wind. And even him, he was saying, wow like this is a sinker and super light wind is super tough but i i i'm 150 pounds i got myself down to about a 72 liter i'm riding 20 22 kt that 72 liter and i find that's about as small as i can get while coming in and next to no wind and and floating i do like a floater when it's cold i i don't like at least then i can sit on it and my, my feet can dangle over or something or i can paddle in and be fairly dry but Um, I tried a 60 and it was just, it it was fine, but it's just, it's just a little smaller. And if you are wanting to stay warmer, um, a little more size is your friend and, and uh, it's definitely that, but I wanted to know, cause I've seen, cause Thomas has made a couple boards as well in Ottawa and he's kind of looked up and, and kind of saw your, your progression, especially with your boards and bottoms. Now the bottom shape of the boards, that stuff has changed quite a bit as well. And we've seen some different kinds of tails. And then even the new fanatics are going with that kind of hot, hard kind of edge, like you have in the board you just showed us um, compared to that kind of step tail or um, what are your thoughts on, on that? Well, the step tail was, is for the waves. You know, and was there was a, a real function to it because they had these huge, they had these huge, uh, like chopped up, uh, like downwind boards on Hawaii. And okay. so that was like just an idea that they had basically, like, I think it was Kyle and was with Alex Aguirre and, and from GoFoil and, uh, and then they, they chopped the board in half or whatever. And then we're like, well, Hey, what if we just cut this little section out right here? And then, you know, and cut that section out and, and, you know, it, it ended up becoming sort of like like a defining sort of design and stuff. Um, okay. you know, there's a lot of different uh, people who like different things. There's definitely a function to that. If you're in tightly packed waves, um, you know, with different kinds of intervals. Uh, and if you're really into pumping when you're coming off of the, you know, steep waves, um, like it makes a difference, you know, having that mm-hmm. cut out tail. Um, but it also doesn't uh, give the same amount of, uh, push and lift that you that you get um, having the kind of tail that's the just the straight back on that one and and okay. so now that things have moved more you know they've swung more to the medium high aspect uh, a lot of companies are finding having that really sharp edge at the back just gives a really like a really good uh, edge release right okay and, you know like coming from surfboard design like, I didn't know this for a long time but you know like having a rounded rail actually holds the board to the water, you know? And so when you look at a surfboard, you'll see round rails, round rails, round rails. And here's where the magic comes in with the shaper. It's where they start bringing in that hard edge, you know, on in relation to the fins in the back of the board, because that's what gives the board its edge release. Right. Huh. And, and so it's pretty neat now to look with that on different surfboards with my eye now, as I come through, I can, I can kind of get into a, like a, you know, they're like an engineer and I'm kind of re-engineering, reverse engineering what they're thinking is and what they're trying to accomplish. It's pretty neat. That said, it makes a difference, you know, with these wing boards, having the, the sharp edges that's at the back. Uh, I like it. I, you know, for me, I find that um, 
I do tend to go with a, uh, a bit more volume. And uh, when I push on that back tail, there's like, there's just that bit of extra volume that will like help me lift up, you know, and I, and I can feel it. I can feel the difference. Okay. What about flat bottom versus double, triple, quad, concaves? Yeah. I've seen a lot of variations in that yeah. as well. You know, I, I again, like I think I said it at the beginning there, I think a lot of this stuff matters in really light winds. Okay. I like a double concave. Uh, and the reason I like that is because on these squirrely, tiny little boards, it helps to give the board a little bit of direction. Like it's, okay. you know, it's like the channels give it a little bit more. But you know, I've owned like a lot of different boards from different companies and I've made a lot of them. And honestly, the difference between, you know, a double concave all the way through and a flat board is like, like it's negligible if at all noticeable. Okay. I think a lot of it's marketing, you know, and, and maybe there is like a two or 3% difference, but like mm -hmm. when you make your job. You have to spend. Yeah. yeah. You have to spend a lot of time on it to feel the differences and. Yeah. And yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And then like, don't forget, like the more hard edges that you have, the more chances of having leaks in your board. Right. Mm. So some of the, uh, the bottom concaves and, and bottom shapes that you see, and they have all these sharp edges all the way along there. Well, every time there's that sharp edge, if it hits a rock, you're going to leak. So, okay. No, that's a good point. Yeah. These are things that I see, right? Because I, because, because, when I'm fixing boards and they're coming through, it's like, I can see the little spots that I know. I know now when that board comes in, I'm looking there and I'm looking there and I'm looking there, you know? Cause you were doing all of, um, so for those at home and those who aren't from Vancouver Island, um, there's a, a KT dealer, Jesse Dirty Mermaid Water Sports up in Eucalypt. You were fixing a lot of his warranty boards, right? Yeah, I did a bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah. That was, mm -hmm. that was great. And, uh, yeah, Jesse Ripper, good guy. Uh, yeah, doing really good with uh, with Dirty Mermaid there too, which is great. But uh, yeah, he brought a bunch of boards to me. Yeah, and uh, okay, uh, five, six, seven of those or something. Oh, nice. Yeah, because I think you had. Um, I saw one of them. I dropped one off for you last, or I think it was this summer that you were repairing and stuff. And and um, another question I had actually was deck pads. They've changed quite a bit. The first version of the board that I have is a fairly aggressive deck pad. There are a bunch of different kinds. What are your thoughts on that? And which ones do you like the best? Well, you've seen them. You've, I've seen them getting thinner, like, you okay. know, and, and using like companies trying to shave grams of weight, you know, and it okay. seems insignificant. But when you're saving 25 grams here and 25 grams there and 25 grams there, you know, all the way through, then at the end, you've saved a pound on a board, which is like, you know, can take it from feeling kind of like a really light board to feeling like not a light board, you know, like that's how okay. much different the pound can take. Um, yep. So, you know, I think they're trying to sort of find the magic as to like, you know, what offers that intersect between the nice cushiony feel with the comfortability and also maybe some durability um, with like, how much can you get away with? Like how much will the market bear? Okay. Uh, you know, makes any sense there. And, and also, yeah. like, you know, things being a bit more refined now, like here, I got a good example right here. Sure. This is a guy's board, um, Greg Salmon. And this was one of the, he got this board, which was one of the original downwind boards that was being made um, by uh, Johnson, the shaper um, uh, back there. And so it's like, you know, it's really thick and it also has the cutout tail. This is like a, 
two-year-old downwind design. Um, okay. Really high-end board. Um, but you look at the deck pad there, and it's got all of this space in the decking. Like, how 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 much is somebody going to be using all of that deck padding? You know, in that mm-hmm. area. And so, if a company wants to think, you know, they know now where people are going to be stepping on their boards based upon the balance point of their board. Where can they take material out? And so you'll start to see that a little bit more on some of the boards there. And I think it's good thinking, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. And for those at home, um, Marty was just showing us one of the boards he was currently repairing and just checking out that deck pad positioning and how long it is. And um, ju- just to, to know what, what kind of do we look for, look out for. Nice. Um, and when would you recommend for somebody to bring in a board to you as opposed to just doing kind of a, you know, small repair on it themselves well i mean that's like there's no real concrete answer on that you know if you've got um like anything structural around the the bot like first and foremost if you see anything that's like an open wound where there's open foam then you're probably better off bringing it to somebody like you know a repair person um because you're going to involve like there's more material that's involved there's more of a chance of you melting the foam through using too much product um you know, there's more chance of you bringing water into your board and ruining your board. You know, ob- there's obvious things like, um, you know, if you see that your fin boxes or your mass tracks are cracking or you see like, a, like you, sometimes people, you can see like a little paint line, you know, and it's like that paint line, you can see that it kind of looked like it's cracking. Definitely make sure you bring it in um, to somebody okay. who has an idea there or else you might just lose your foil. Or it could just crack at you when you're moving at high speeds and, and then you get hurt, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, uh, like you can get by using tape and, uh, you know, stuff and dingo in and, you know, and whatever else there, but there's like, um, and by all means, I, you know, I use tape when I'm out in there, I certainly don't get out of the water, um, you know, or stop my session because, you know, there's something that I'm not, you know, that I don't, I'm not going to get out of the water for that. I'll do quick fixes, but you know, like, when you invest a bit of money into a board, like you might want to keep it up as well too, and keep the value up on it. And, and so, you know, taking it to somebody who, um, you know, does it as an actual business might, might not be a bad idea. You know, it keeps the, keeps the repair value high, you know, keeps it high. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, really? yeah. So I think as a short resume, we can kind of tell people, Basically, if you have any sort of, you know, cracking in the in the fiberglass or in the carbon or whatever around the foil box, um, definitely bring it into a shop to take a look at it or to a repair person to take a look at it. Yeah, and if you have any sort of... Well. Sorry, I forgot to mention that because there's lots of leaks around handles. Okay. Yeah, that's true. And then if you have um, any sort of impact that you can see foam through, then definitely bring it into the shop uh, or into a repair person. And for other stuff, you know, it can be more or less important uh, to get it done right away, but it's really important to keep the water out of the board, uh, as Marty was talking about before. I got another and, one after that one there. Back in the old surf days, there used to be a thing where when you would have delaminations, where there was like the inject the resin in and just have a weight, you know, to Ooh. hold it down or whatever. And that yeah, worked. that's a great one. You know, back in the day, it worked with uh, with you know with polyester foam and polyester resin. 
But if you do that nowadays, what you'll do is you'll you'll get an exothermic reaction where the epoxy starts getting there's like there's heat created through the reaction. It's it's a uh, stoichiometric, and there's heat created. And if it doesn't have a chance to escape, as in there's like a big globule of it, it'll get so hot it'll melt the core of your board. Don't do that. So don't do that. No injection. Yeah. The yeah. one parenthesis on the injection is Gorilla Glue. And I don't know if you use this at all, Marty, or not, but um, Gorilla Glue is basically a foaming uh, polyurethane glue, and you can inject it into anything, basically. Um, And it activates with moisture, so it actually soaks up any moisture that's in that area, and it just turns into a high-density foam. So there's no exotherm problem that, like Marty is talking about, and it can be a a big help in that kind of situation on that one there because Gorilla Glue will exotherm if there's enough of it. Uh, oh, and okay. one of the challenges you get with Gorilla Glue uh, is that you can actually like change the shape of your board. Yes, that's true. Too much in, right? Because it's, you know, it's expanding and I like, I've done that on my own stuff. Never anybody else is there, but I've done that. And I, and I have created uh, too much heat, um, like doing it when it was hot outside. Uh, like Okay. Five degrees, and then use a lot of gorilla foam, uh, doing a foil box actually, and then it just melted, like it melted the foam. So good to not as significant as with epoxy, but yeah. Okay, no, that's a good point. And Thomas from Auto just mentioned that also that um, that repair guys have materials on hand, so most people don't have a lot of materials on hand, and maybe you go in to buy the stuff, buying fiberglass, buying your epoxy, buying this, buying that the repair may actually come out to closer or even cheaper or then at least you're going to get a good quality repair as well. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Now I want to know, cause I'm, I'm curious if you want to spend, we've, we've been on here for, well, for a little over an hour. Um, those early foils that you made, do you want to chat about them and chat about the evolution of that? I would be stoked to find out more about how, how you guys started. Oh, we're just talking. Tom, <laughs> do you still have some of those old foils that I sent you guys out there? I don't, uh, I wish I just had, I wish I just had that one, uh, in particular. Um, but I can talk a little bit about, uh, one of these designs that I uh, made. I found this one and I was like, Oh, this good one. This old good one. Um, okay. at the point in time when I made this, this was like, um, like a really small, you know, foil, like, like it was really small and like, look, you guys, it doesn't have to be huge. And so I, I thought, you know, I was like, okay, you get a big curve and a foil here and, you know, that curve helps to create lift through the spectrum when you're carving because you're going to have more area this way if you have a curve that's lifting, right? And so why not have uh, just a vertical step like this so you're going to have some vertical lift that's coming up from, you know, from this right here while you're banking a turn. You get all of the stability from uh, having a flat foil section, you know, on the bottom. And uh, it looks cool. And um, I had a lot of fun with this one, actually. Like, you know, I had to fix it a few times or whatever. But one of the emerging properties that came from this, this is the one that I ended up developing with Cabosin College. And I got a mold out of it and everything. And by the time that that was done, um, like, foils had way changed. And, like, doing what I was doing was no longer relevant. But one of the fun things about this one is, is it actually, when I would breach and come out of the water 
I could actually skim the surface of the water because it would Come on. like there would be like an air pocket here and I could actually ride that on top of the water and then jump back down on it. And I was like, like, I thought it was like, well, that was just the freakiest thing that ever happened, never happened again. And I was actually able to replicate that and like, like do that as kind of like a move. Eh? And that oh, was cool. And I thought, man, I like this is the next big thing. There, are people are going to be knocking on my door, man. And there's gonna, I'm going to get a somebody's going to make this, and I'm going to get a free gear, and it's going to be awesome. It'll be over. Let it happen. But, uh, um, yeah, we were using uh, like three quarter inch by one inch um, aluminum angle bar of different grades, uh, bending all sorts of fuselages and. Um, yeah, I mean, it's that that's almost like a whole podcast into itself. Um, yeah, I was thinking if you want to come back on, we could talk about that because it, it's it's in Tom, uh, Thomas and I, you've made some as well. I think Thomas was playing with some of them and that would be a fascinating chat to go through. Uh, but we could definitely have you back on and we could chat that for sure. When we had like uh, Thomas and the crew there, like that's how we originally met. Um and we had a thing where uh, we had a meeting and there was a whole crew of guys that were like, you know, engineers and the whole thing with you guys there. And, and I was like, listen, just go get an axis fuselage. Like, just get an axis fuselage. If you're going to do this, don't even bother with anything else, you know, because I'd spent years trying to like fabricate and machine and get somebody to make and machine this thing in there. And it was like all along, it was this perfectly made fuselage that made it perfectly easy with right angles and the whole thing and i don't know if you guys ever followed up on that but. well marty i want to say thanks for joining thanks for sharing some of that knowledge uh, people know how to get a hold of you yeah. and um looking forward to seeing you again this summer yeah uh, when i rip back on the island and hopefully you guys get some wind soon there i came back for christmas out in the east coast and i almost got one session with uh with thomas here in ottawa well, yeah. It was too cold, so we ended up just sitting in the car, had some food, and filmed our one buddy with a dry suit, and we were just, like, chomping at the bit, and I guess everything just got put away, so I cracked at the fat bike there yesterday, and got to get doing some of that stuff, but um, there was a little bit of a storm that rolled through Vic this weekend. Hey, my brother messaged me, and he went out to Island View, I think. Did you get out, or? Uh, yeah, no, I, I for sure. Yeah, I got out. I was out yeah. to uh couple times one of them was uh right off clover point on the southeaster and the first day um it turned into probably it was getting up into the 50 knot thing there and it, i thought we thought we were oh. going to die and there okay. was like you know head high shore pound that was just grinding into the beach with logs and you know it was yeah. like like a death-defying move to get out of the water and then the next day um next morning it had settled down and it was more like uh you know, in the thirties, which when you compare 40 knots to 30 knots, it's like a, Oh, it's huge. Yeah. It's a really yeah. easy, you know, at that point in time there. And, uh, and Chris Kern and I, and, uh, we had a, just a, just a dream session, man. There was Chris Kern and I and Mark Soodle and. Oh, you know, nice. It was really good, man. Nice. Stoke is so we're having so much fun and I know we all are like, you know, yeah. coming from all these different backgrounds and windsurfing and kiting and, you know, to arrive where we are in this and, and just like the stoke is real, man. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. I found that such as soon as the sport came out, I was like, this will be an opportunity for a whole, like a lot of us to, to get and to see 
like an evolution of an entire sport. I miss some of the other yeah. sports. So to be able to see that and to be able to play yeah. in all the versions and then watch and then have you guys kind of get super into technical with this. And, and that is a huge thing, especially with wind sports. And I find with rock climbing and stuff as well as every, it's such an inclusive community. Yeah. Um, especially out on the water and stuff like we're not necessarily stealing anything away from anybody because there's ample space you're always surf especially on the foil right you're always surfing like even at knit night sometimes you can even surf for a second or two on like a two foot little section and you're like um it just, i don't know it just lights you up it lights everybody else up so th that's the whole thing absolutely Absolutely. We'll have you back on because uh, I think all of us want to talk foils and and see some of those older prototypes. If you, got you know some. what, I'll put some together there just as a, we could do a quick little like like tour through the, the home fabrication of foils. Wait, like, yeah, no, I think you that'd gotta, be you awesome. You gotta laugh, when you see this thing, it's like, yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. No, man, it's like, that's history. It's history. It's like, it's uh, history. like, the, like the Wright brothers flying the airplane kind of thing. <laughs> see? So, Marty, if anybody's looking to get a board repaired um, or fixed, what's the easiest way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, I'm uh, on Facebook there. I'm Marty Man, which was like, um, that was a nickname of mine when I was a lot younger there. Um, and so you can contact me through there. Uh, if you forget about that or you're not on Facebook, you could call any of the surf shops in town. That would be the Gyro Beach Board Shop, uh, Coastline or the surf seek and surf and souk and uh they have my number and contact i'm, I'm kind of like the place that they send people to um or you can email me south island comp as in composite south island comp at gmail.com and um okay. yeah so uh yeah basically the process i do it paperless uh try to cut down on as much you know waste which there's a lot of waste in this industry it's hard to reconcile being an environmental practitioner that i am mm -hmm. professionally but um uh yeah i just do that paperless somebody takes a picture or a couple pictures of the, the of the repair and then i see it and that basically gets it started and then they get it out to me and like i you know i'm, I'm pretty flexible i want people to i don't want people to be out of the water for any amount of time so i you know if there's no hurry then i keep something on the back burner maybe it costs a little bit less um maybe okay. they get a bit more work uh done for the value um, but usually I'm about 10 days, somewhere around there. I work, I work pretty hard. I, you know, I work my full-time job and then I come home and work on boards. So. Hey, that's not bad. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, Hey, I'm Marty. Thanks a lot, man. And we'll, uh, we'll chat soon with you. All right. Take care. See ya. You too. Bye. Thanks for joining Tom and I on this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.